Welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Here we are on Trust Company Talks, a Trust Company podcast with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. And we are here today with our, our good friend, Mark Roberts, CIO of Ironsize Asset Advisors, uh, knowledgeable on all things alternative investments. And uh, we're glad to he- have him here to uh, enlighten us a little bit on what's going on in the private equity and alternative space. So anyway, well, welcome, Mark. How are you? Thank you. Appreciate you you guys having me here. Of course. Of course. Welcome, Mark. Excellent. Um, well, uh, let's, w- without further ado, um, uh, you're very well known to Trust Company, but perhaps uh, you know a well-kept secret, perhaps in, in the, the North Carolina investment business. But I'd love to uh, maybe give the opportunity to talk a bit about your background and how you came to, to be in your perch where you are today. Sure. No, happy happy to share. Um, I've been very fortunate. Um, I have um, been on the family office side of the world um, over the past 25 plus years. Um, and uh, I've been very fortunate also to participate more on the institutional side. Um, I took a bit of an aberrant stint and um, stepped over and helped the um, state of North Carolina pension plan for a bit um, in the late um, 2008, 27, 2009 kind of timeframe and ran the alternatives and the long only portfolio for the state. Um, A family that I had worked for um, was going through a transition and asked if I would come back and help them and was very happy to to do that. Um, And I also have been very fortunate to um, have sat on um, some foundation and endowment boards um, and and share and share the experience that I've had kind of across the alternatives universe. So I've been very fortunate. One thing I, I, I guess I, I would have thought to have asked you this earlier, but tell me about the name of the firm, Ironsides. Is that, that after the, the famous uh, Navy ship, the Constitution? Or it, it is, it is. Um, um, my grandmother would be very happy with that question. Um, <laughs> so um, our family, our homes is going back a ways, and Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. wrote the poem "Old Ironsides." Um, Wow. Based, based on the USS Constitution. And so through elementary school and junior high school, I had to write numerous papers on old Ironsides. And when we were forming the name of our LLC, we wanted to um, take something that was affiliated with the family, but also we wanted to, um, you know, something that was sturdy and strong and, and good, safe sailing along the way. So we, uh, we, picked, we picked Ironsides in remembrance of that. That's awesome. I had no idea that you were with a, a genuinely famous person today. <laughs> no, not, not he's famous to us. I had no idea. Di- distantly famous. related, distantly <laughs> related. So, so yeah. So, well, well, Mark, thanks, thanks for so much for being here. First of all, uh, Mark and I go way back. I, you know, I, I was, I was trying to think when we, you and I first met. I think it was roughly twenty-eight years ago, Mark. So, welcome. We're really pleased to have you. Thank you. And. uh you know, one of the things, you know, we've we've all been in this world of finance our whole careers, but you hear the word alternative investment and private equity a lot. So what sure. what would be your definition for the for the general listener out there that our, that our audience might appreciate? What would be your definition of that of 
private equity and alternative investments. You know, you know, Billy, I, I think what I may do is kind of turn the question a little bit. I think it may be easier to say what alternatives are not. Um, you know, t- typically, as we're referring to these, you know, public securities, whether they be public equities or whether that be kind of the public fixed income markets, um, there's a delineation drawn on that. And, you know, in many cases, alternatives, you know, utilize those assets in their creation. So oftentimes, um, the, when people talk about alternatives, they're talking about structures that utilize um, public equities or public fixed income. Um, they could use uh, real estate or real assets as well. Typically, when I think about alternatives, there's some form of a structure. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, what I mean is that you're in an, a limited partnership or you're in some vehicle where a manager or a, um, a person is is essentially trying to create a different asset stream uh, utilizing utilizing various assets, whether they be public or whether they be kind of off-market type assets. Um, you know, it, it, I think we as an industry have done a bit of disservice um, in in making these as mysterious as we have. I mean, in, in, you know, whether, whether it's a long short equity fund or whether it's private equity, both of them are owning companies. Those companies may be public, those companies may be private, but they essentially are depending upon GDP and the economy um, just as public equities are too. Um, and, and so in, cer- in certain cases, managers have used this to um, justify a fee structure. And yeah. so mm-hmm. in many cases, you have to kind of um, disentangle that to make sure you're, you're kind of understanding kind of what you're trying to accomplish with that investment. That's very helpful. I, I, you know, I think a lot of people it, it's still investing. It's just a it's just how you how you structured it. And yeah, yeah, yeah I think that makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. Yeah, we, we as an industry, unfortunately, um, tend to make things more complicated than they need to be. <laughs> um, so. Well, um, could you tell us a little bit about the difference between certain types of all-term investments? I mean, I think yeah. I think people have heard, people know yeah. what hedge funds are sort of conceptually, people know what private equity is sort of conceptually, but not but not really. Maybe you could help us understand really the difference between, you know, the, the, the two sort of big buckets. Yeah, no, ex- excellent question. And, you know, a lot of times when you're asked this question, you, you know, you need to kind of be very specific because we can talk in very general terms. So, you know, hedge funds, you know, hedge funds kind of have a generic name. Well, hedge funds can be as simple as an equity long short where a manager is buying or going long in equity or a manager is selling short in equity. But there are also macro hedge funds that essentially kind of track either trends or track different components in a, in a strategy. There are also credit hedge funds. There are also um, hedge funds that will utilize, you know, maybe a neutral perspective on that. And so it, it is, the nomenclature can get a bit confusing and, and a bit complicated. So, you know, I'm certainly sympathetic to that. Um, you know, essentially, I, I think what's important for folks um, and important for folks in investing is to really kind of dig in and understand kind of what they're trying to accomplish in these strategies and kind of work on that. So to carry this question kind of back to the beginning and go even further on the private side, in private equity, you, you have a number of different private equity strategies. You have 
private that might be with large buyout type companies. You know, think in the old days of a KKR buying RJ, RJR. Think, um, you know, kind of across the market cap spectrum on that. You have large buyout, you have small buyout, you have middle market buyout, but then you also have um, a class that might fall into, say, a more early stage, a more venture space. And so really the nomenclature here is just to segment and and try to help explain kind of what's going on in the strategies. Um, and, And just as you might have small, mid and large cap stocks, you can have the very same thing kind of across the alternative spaces where you've got different subsets of the overall universe that, that, that we call alternatives. Right. Right. And that, that, that would speak also to, so, so you've got, you've got these alternative investments out there and private equity and things of that nature. So there are a lot of people that have traditional portfolios with traditional stocks, bonds, and cash, the three big or and or real estate. Sure. Uh, those 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 typical asset classes. So why would somebody or what are the disadvantages or advantages of adding alternatives or private equity into a to a well-diversified portfolio? Yeah, let, let's split this up. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk first about hedge funds and then I'll circle back and I'll talk Perfect. about private equity. Yeah, because be the, the reasons and the ways you might use these are very different. And 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 we should we should say that, you know, essentially what we are doing and what we're trying to accomplish is, you know, we have an objective that we're trying to accomplish. So on the hedge fund side of the world, I mean, I think sometimes hedge fund managers get a, a little bit of, um, and, and, and sometimes it's self-inflicted, but they get a little bit of a bad rap in that if I'm a hedge fund manager, in general, I'm trying to accomplish some sort of a return stream. So I might be trying to earn something like equity markets or slightly less than equity markets at maybe half or two-thirds the volatility of the mm-hmm. equity markets. So I'm not trying to earn the equity markets. So, you know, if, if someone compares, you know, that type of hedge fund to the S&P 500, it, it's it's slightly a mistake because what they're what that hedge fund manager is trying to do is be less volatile mm-hmm. than the S&P 500. That matters a lot for endowments and pensions and foundations in many cases where they have a cash flow stream that they are paying out and and without trying to get but so mathematical and geeky on you on this. You know, imagine that if you're paying a steady state cash flow stream out, if you have volatility in those down years, you're paying out disproportionately more for that same dollar amount. Um, and so volatility really matters to you when you have a steady state spending rate. So that is why many endowments and pension plans and, and, and certain foundations will use hedge funds to help mitigate or lessen volatility relative to, to just being long equities on that mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the judge of that is, you know, are they able to accomplish that? And are they able to accomplish that on a risk adjusted basis? Um, in, in, in certain cases they are, in some certain cases they aren't, but you know, the, the real judge on that is, is not just the return side, but the return per, per unit of kind of downside volatility mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hedge funds. That's why someone might use a hedge fund on that. And in, in both cases, in both the private equity side and the hedge fund side, the, 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 the first big negative is going to be a give up in liquidity. 
Um, and we'll come back to that in a second or two. But on the private equity side, you know, why we see families and endowments and, and pensions using private equity is, you know, we, we would suggest first there's an information advantage. So unlike unlike public markets, um, it's tough to gather information on private companies. It's it's tough to kind of pull together the cash flows. And so people that work at that and managers that work at that um, can create an information advantage in their portfolio selection and their portfolio creation. And because of that, you have seen over the years, private equity tend to provide higher rates of return than you have in the public equity markets. E- even when adjusting from co- for call structures and things like that, you know, we typically think that there is a informational advantage in the private markets relative to the public markets. You also may hear from time to time that there is a liquidity premium. Um, and so if I am going to invest in a private market or a private market manager, I want that private, that private market manager has to do better or, or I have to target that that manager does better than a public equity because I've given up my use of those dollars in the interim. So I'm going to require a premium because I've given up liquidity on that. And it varies across, you know, as, as we kind of uh, delineated across a, a number of different kind of segments. You know that liquidity premium can can vary, but you know we're looking for anywhere from three to five percent um, north of what we might earn in in public equity markets mm-hmm. on that side. Yeah, um, happy happy to go further. Um, yeah, on that. there, that's, that's really helpful. We, we, we could we could talk about that all afternoon. Yeah. So. Well, so. Um, it's interesting you you, uh, you mentioned uh, you know KKR and, and kind of the, the early days of, of private equity um, and we're kind of jumping around here a little bit but you know you've um, uh, just go, I mean, back in those days when we all were reading uh, Barbarians at the Gate you know yeah. private equity didn't even really have a name yet and so and, but you've been in the industry going back you know pretty much to, to those days I mean it's okay to call me old <laughs> well, we're all we're on the same cohort here that makes obviously. us all old yeah right right um but just just hearing you speak about the um uh, you know the, you know the, the reference to that maybe think about how much the industry has changed maybe talk a little bit about you know about what you've yeah. seen kind of as the industry has uh uh grown and matured and you know what 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 that means for private equity it, at this point it's very interesting, you know, and, and it, it is not the same industry that it was in the 80s. It's not the same industry that it was in the 90s. Um, in, in some ways, um, you know, clearly technology and advancement in terms of kind of construction have mattered a lot. But I would say that, you know, when thinking back about a question like that, you know, in the early days, it was pretty straightforward. So, so in the early days, you know, that what we call buyout now is that was leverage buyout. And in the mm-hmm. early days, it was a lot of essentially financial engineering that provided returns. So, you know, if I could go out and put, you know, 50% equity on a company and borrow 50% and, you know, I could, you know, have some level of kind of slight improvement in the company, then, you know, I could walk away with a, a very reasonable return because I was able to kind of put leverage on a company that might not otherwise have had leverage on it. And that was, that was the game in the early days. Um, mm-hmm. 
that game went away, um, partially because there were new entrants into the market, partially because um, you know banks kind of woke up and understood some of the risks they were taking on that side. Today is a very different um, type of type of beast. You know, I I think that today the majority, not all, but the majority of private equity firms take an operational or a consulting approach to making companies better. Um, and, and, and certainly the ones that survive and thrive take that type of mentality. So they're going to take a McKinsey or a Bain type of approach. You know, we're going to acquire a company. We're going to put in a hundred day plan. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to bring technology technology to these companies. We're going to help them with their distribution and marketing. And, and, and when we sell these companies, we're going to sell them because they're a better company. And so, gone. I hesitate to say gone are the days, but predominantly gone are the days of the financial leverage being the main component of this. Today, you are finding folks that are really kind of working and improving companies, and and you know, in certain cases, that may be you know they may acquire a base company and then do a roll up or an addition. On to that company and 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 put together a better company and then sell it, but it's really the inflection point, the improving revenues and improving earnings that private equity firms are doing. It's it's also fascinating, and I'll, I'll throw out a few statistics here. If you look at the number of public firms there were in the SN, or excuse me, on on, the, on public market back in 2000, you'd see around 7,800 kind of public companies and markets. That's fallen to about 4,800 hmm. last year. And so what we have seen is that we have seen more of a movement of capital over to the public to the private side and on that on that now part of that is you know how big the amazons and the microsofts and all, all those folks have gotten too but the number count of public companies has fallen and the number count of private companies has risen dramatically and that's because of the maturation and the growth of the private equity industry um and, and you know good and bad in that um, you know, in some cases, private equity can be a bit momentum based and can kind of get ahead of itself a bit. But, you know, it really is a um, um, an interesting and, and more viable market. You know, even with all of that said on a number count basis, the public equity markets dwarf the private equity mm-hmm. markets on a market capitalization basis. Right. On a number count wise, um, the um the private markets are, are 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 still kind of down, but but I actually found this statistic when when I was kind of looking back over some items. You know, if you look at one hundred million dollar revenue companies, there are more private equity companies at one hundred million in revenues than there are public equity companies mm-hmm. at one hundred mm-hmm. million in revenues. Mm-hmm. So that wow. speaks that speaks to the maturation of 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 the industry. Mm-hmm. Is that partly a function of, I mean, I guess just the expense of, of a company going public early in its life versus, you know, this tremendous, this kind of tsunami of capital that has flowed into private equity that's allowed uh, basic companies to grow uh, without being public for the, you know, in the early years? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's a number of items and it's hard to pin it on a singular item. You know, Greg Brown over at UNC has done a lot of good work on this. Um, you know, you know wh- whether it's, you know, kind of sarbanes actually or regulatory reasons where it's easier for companies and, and less expensive for, for companies to, to, to kind of operate in a private environment um, versus a public environment. But I think there's another large factor. And I think that factor is, you know, on the public markets, it has become a much more quarter to quarter, you know, I mean, you you see how the earnings game is played quarter to quarter. If if you're in that public side of that world, you're you're beholden to that kind of methodology and mentality. Mm-hmm. If you're on the private side of the world, I think you can take a much longer term view and and theoretically build better, stronger, longer term companies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I think I think that's also part of that dynamic too. Yeah, Mark, that speaks to I, I was when you were talking that it was it made me think about so. With the recent market volatility we've had in the public markets recently, because of the the, the, the virtual nature of private equity investments, how, how does market volatility, as we all know it in the in the public sector, with the S and P and the Dow and 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 all those different in, indices, uh, how does that affect the private equity market or 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 the prices of private equity? I know talk a little yeah. bit about that. It, I think it, it impacts it, and we uh, you know unintentionally we we kind of went by um, one of the disadvantages in private equity. And I'll, I'll kind of pull on that here too as we're talking about it. I mean, private equity is for longer term investing, right? Both from a cultural and a structural perspective, and so when you're in a private private equity vehicle, you're in there legally and, and, you know, constricted for, you know, a period of, of 10 years. In certain cases, some of the structures are seven years, but you're in there for a good legal portion of time on that. That is good and bad. So one, your fellow limited partners, your fellow investors side by side with you can't pull away and can't, can't kind of damage the company by pulling away on that side. But you are also limited on that. As such, you know, the mark to markets, you're not having daily readings on my company's, you know, worth $2 more or it's worth, you know, $3.75 less. You're not, I mean, that's not happening on a daily basis in a, in a private world. Um, I, I think it's probably a very good thing because managements are more focused on what they're trying to accomplish from either an earnings or revenue perspective. But you know, you're you as an investor are not seeing that kind of kind of movement. You know, the accounting board has done a much better job of um, you know working on valuations and making sure that companies are following valuations. Um, policies, but you're only having um, marks on private companies on a quarterly basis. And even then, um, and, 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 and this is the case in most private asset managers, you know, they tend to be fairly conservatively marked. You will find the aberrant or the off person that will be pushing their marks, but by and large, they're for, fairly conservatively marked until a company is sold. Um, and so you get a bit of smoothing in that. Now, mm-hmm. is that smoothing natural or unnatural? That's a, that's a fair debate, a fair question on that side. Um, you know, but you don't see the daily up and downs 
um, mm-hmm. that that you do. Um, you know, I think that in many cases, and we can we can pick on venture capital last year. Venture capital had a has had a fabulous fabulous you know kind of five year run in here. Did they run up farther than they should have run up last year? Yes, they probably did. Will it? Will, will we see certain venture capital valuations kind of come back down? Yeah, yeah, I think we will. I think the type of venture that you'll see come down is is the one that is the closest to IPO or 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 being held in 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 managers that that maybe also already have um, kind of kind of a a partial public um, in in the company setup on that, but you know, the early stage and the kind of not near IPO, you're just not going to see much change in valuation. It's just, it, it's going to be more steady state on that side. Yeah. Well, from, from our perspective, you know, we, 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 we deal in both worlds, but, but a lot of our portfolio, I mean, a lot of our clients have a significant part of their portfolios in the public markets and for, for better or for worse, they are being priced daily, and right. you know, and when think when you have that market volatility, sometimes the people that that watch the markets every day, you know, we try to, and I think Burke would would agree with me here that uh, we try to get our, fo- our our clients to focus on the long term and not look at the the daily valuations every day and drive themselves crazy. So, in one sense, that's one of the things I like about private equity is is because it is more long term in nature and it's not priced daily. Like the public markets, I think. I think you can argue that from an agency perspective, the the manager or the companies um, become more aligned with the investors if the investors are long horizon investors. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important for investors to fully understand, you know, kind of the the timing and time frame of of private equity because it's it's not like public equity. You can't pull out. In in many cases, that's a good thing. So, yeah. So. Well, that was a pretty good setup, Bill, for my my next question. I was going to ask, you know, for for, for whom would you consider a, a you know a, an investment in alternatives or private equity to be most appropriate? I know I've sat with you in some meetings where you've had a great uh, a great diagram of the, of you know you have a hedge fund bucket and you have um, uh, a, a private equity bucket. Maybe you could kind of if you know what I'm talking about, maybe you could kind of you know walk through. Well, first identify maybe who a good candidate might be, and then and then the way you kind of set that up. So so, and, and we talked about it early. I, I've been very fortunate in my career. So the early part of my career, I ran asset liability for a financial institution where I had to match the liabilities mm-hmm. of the bank with the with the loans and the investment portfolio of the bank. And then I've worked with families, and I've worked with a pension plan where we knew that we needed to provide growth to have pension payouts in a five to seven year time frame because that was the average time that the retirees were going to be needing those cash flows and and even in the family side of the world that's how we think about it so we think first we think first about asset allocation and we think about you know what portion of a family or what portion of an endowment or foundation can really be allowed to kind of be a long horizon investor. And so with that kind of added vector on the asset allocation world, you know, that basically determines the potential 
not 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 the absolute, but the potential for where you might use um, where you might use private assets. And you know, as an example, I mean, so a, a couple of our families are really kind of you know what I'll refer to as dynastic. So you know, the portfolios are really not for this generation. The portfolios are for the next generation and the follow-on generation. You know, they're a fair amount. There's a fair percent of the portfolio that's available for long horizon investing. And so, you know, what we would do is kind of look first at that that portion. And, and if there is a portion for long horizon investing, then it becomes a question of, is, you know, do, do I think there's value in public markets? Do I think there's value in private markets? How does this match the liquidity profile of the family? And, and that kind of begins setting that. Um, you, you specifically kind of ask about the hedge fund side of that. Typically, we don't use hedge funds per se for providing kind of long directional kind of exposure. Mm-hmm. Typically, where we've used hedge funds on the endowment side or the family side is in you know providing kind of volatility dampening mm-hmm. or or targeting volatility dampening. The thing that we all have to be careful for, and 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 I think this is really important and and my endowment brethren don't don't have to worry about this, but we have to worry about this because we're taxable investors. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we as industry need to do a much better job is looking at these returns on a risk-adjusted after-tax um, after tax matter. And that's one of the things that we specifically do. So we'll, we'll use factors um, on after-tax returns rather than, you know, just kind of taking the pure net returns on mm-hmm. that side. So okay. that's, a, that's important for families. Okay, Mark. So let me, so with that, with that being said, um, if for our listeners that are, that are, that are tuning into this. So, and I'm not asking for a hard answer on this because I know there really isn't a hard answer, but in order to move the needle for a person, if they want to incorporate some sort of alternative bucket in their, their overall asset allocation, what percentage do you think, needs to be in these type of alternative investments and what would be the minimum uh, portfolio size that could, you know, in order to get exposure to these type of investments? I know you probably get this question a lot, but I think it'd be helpful to just give some round, some yeah. some general ideas on that for our, for our listeners. So, so the hard part about answering this question is if somebody listens to this podcast six months or 12 months or 18 months from now, it very well may be a different answer. Um, The the industry is kind of rapidly changing and we're seeing kind of fees and structures kind of come down and change. Um, I'm a little bit cynical about some of the democratization that's going on in the alternative classes. And I think there's a Wall Street Journal article today. And I, I, I do get a bit nervous that I just want to make sure folks understand what they're getting into Mm -hmm. on that side. So let me try to answer your question. I mean, I think you really have to go back to my first, one of the comments I made just a few minutes ago is that you you need to really understand your liquidity and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're a family and you have, you know, let's say over three to 4 million in assets that you are using to target, you know, 15 years from now, I think you can build something there. I I, I actually, we have had success. Part part of it is just 
being old and 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 doing this a bit. I mean, we've had v- very good success, kind of breaking apart and kind of you know having managers you know allocate two fifty five hundred size kind of chunks on that. So if you can build a diversified portfolio of eight or so managers. Um, then you can kind of get to where that math works on that side. Mm-hmm. But but you really have to do the backwards math first. You have to determine what portion of my portfolio really is long horizon. And I mean, and, and I know you guys help folks and, and do that for folks, but you know, you have to kind of start there on that math before you can kind of say, you know, this is what we can do on that mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, does that answer your question? I, 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 I'm hesitant to answer the yeah. question because it really varies by family and it really varies by what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, right. shoot, we said, we said it earlier. I mean, at the end of the day, these structures are, are made up of other assets. These folks probably have on their balance sheets to begin mm-hmm. with. So can you substitute a singular manager in, I mean, I think we have one case where we substituted in a long, short, small cap hedge fund versus a long only small cap. Well, in that case, you don't need all that much. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, right. You don't need all that much side. It really is family and asset allocation dependent. And and, and at some level, it really comes down. It, it the one thing I was hearing from what you from your response was that it comes down. At its at its most basic level, the liquidity factor of how much yeah, how absolutely. much liquidity they need, yeah. and if, and yeah. that should drive it. If, the, if they if they don't have if they don't need it, if they know they can put it away, salt it away for several years, then they can stand to take more. And if they they need more liquidity, they're going to have to stand. They they, yeah, they that, can't that, do that, as much. Is that is that, that fair to say? Did I hear you correctly? That is fair and correct. Okay. I mean, so so okay. that's kind of a first threshold. Yeah. And then yeah. if it fits in the asset allocation, that's a second threshold. So right. you're you're kind of going through kind of your pilot's checklist is if this and you can do that and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of going that route. So yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Mark, I've got one more question before I, before I, I know you've got to go here pretty soon. But uh, if you could just, uh, I, I know you have such you know sort of profound expertise in. The in you know what's going on today in the private equity space. Just talk briefly about you know kind of what you're seeing. Maybe go back to Bill's question about how volatility is impacted. Um, you know public markets that affect. Um, you know what what areas, if any, are you seeing in private equity right now that that look attractive to you? Um, I'm not, not going to put you on the spot on you know absolute specifics, but you know just you know in, in general, you know what opportunities present themselves today. I'm going to be a little boring here on this in that. You know, I think I'm going to talk about private equity specifically. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have a plan. And I think that, you know, part of the diversification is across the years. So when you make a commitment to a private equity manager, they're going to invest that over a three to five year period. Well, we don't, we don't, if we have a hundred dollars to spend on private equity, we're going to spend $25 of that over a four-year period and get diversification across the years. And so what I hope for and what I want is, is a little bit kind of counterintuitive is, you know, I hope I make a commitment and the world falls apart and that manager can buy assets really cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 
what I, you know, I know that managers can make money kind of on the upside, but, but really the easiest market for these guys to make money is, you know, in a downturns. And so if there is down or negative type volatility, what I want to do is I want to keep my, and I call these vintages, I keep my vintage program going so that I'm investing the amount that I want to invest over, over that three to five year period. And, you know, it can be a four-year period, but but over a stable period of time, because what I want is I want to give the managers an opportunity to pick up some companies on the cheap on that. So so a bit of a boring answer in that I think that discipline and and understanding how this fits is probably more important than than what's going up. A lot of folks chased into venture capital. Venture capital did wonderful the last four or five years. You can look at many university endowments and just see how how well venture did. I I don't want to chase into venture, but I I also want to keep allocating to venture in the same percent that I have been allocating to it as well on on that side. And, And so I think, you know, a process and a discipline is is equally important in the in the private sides of the market. Um, you know, there are things we tilt to. Um, we, you know, we think it's going to be interesting for a distressed investing credit cycle in here. But, but we're you know, those are minor tilts. They're not. We're not moving out of the path. We're not moving out of the channel on what we're doing on that mm-hmm. side. Well, as usual, boring is good, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's how you buy, whether you're public or private, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Mr. Roberts, you are never boring, my friend. And Scott, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, Burke, I'll I'll let you close her out. Yeah, well, that's pretty much. I think you just did. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thanks, Mark Roberts, with the um, Ironsides Asset Advisors. Uh, thanks very much for being here today. Appreciate it very much. Enjoy talking to you guys. All righty. Thanks, thanks again, Mark. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Trust Company Talks. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bill Noble, Burke Coons, or anyone else are not necessarily those of Trust Company of the South. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be accurate. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. These materials are not intended to be tax or legal advice, and readers are encouraged to consult their own legal tax and investment advisor before implementing any financial strategy.